0: Welcome to Under the Skin with me, Russell Brand. This show is sponsored by Recovery, which is available now on Amazon. You can also get the audiobook, which is doing very well and is great. Also, come see me on my rebirth tour, Birmingham, on December the 5th. It's going to be a great night. Leicester, the very next day, December the 6th. Brixton Academy, December the 19th. If you want tickets for any of those events, go to RussellBrand.com. Now it's time for Under the Skin. stafford is a survivalist explorer and adventurer an internationally acclaimed motivational speaker and author who's been described as britain's most intrepid hero since scott of the antarctic he's experienced extremes all over the world and is the guinness world record holding first man to walk the amazon ed splits his life between filming around the world and spending time at home in london he blogs about anything related to adventure remote travel and health and fitness. Ed Stafford, thank you for very much for coming on Under the Skin. Absolute pleasure. What fascinates me most about your work uh, as a uh, sort of a survivalist or an adventurer yeah. is the way that you talk about the uh, sort of conscious and spiritual component of surviving in extreme situations. But in a way, your background is is traditional in the sense that you're from the military.
1: Yeah. Uh, it is straight
0: under the skin, then, isn't it? Really?
1: <laughs> I, I think, Russell. I mean, I've always thought it was. Um, um, I, I'm in the world of adventure. I've done it off the back of a military career, and yet, um, for me, the the sort of the obvious parts of adventure—the crossing rivers, climbing mountains, sort of toughing it out—don't don't really interest me as much as the psychological aspects. Clearly, I think. Um, you know there is a very physical element in everything I do, but the whole thing, since the military onwards, has been a has been a bit of a spiritual journey, and and it's just it's it's interesting for me how such a sort of stereotypical blokey bloke's job has ended up being actually
0: one which has been quite. Um, Quite a sort of spiritual journey, yeah. That is fascinating. That's perhaps what fascinates me most. That something that, uh, superficially, seems to be about overt modes of masculinity such yeah. as toughness, endurance, survival. Ultimately, in your view, comes down to well, spirituality.
1: I think. I think it's evolved. If I'm honest, I think if when I started, when I, for example, wanted to walk the length of the Amazon, I think there was a lot of ego involved. I think I really wanted to. Um, prove to the world that I was super tough, beat my chest, and um, do something that everyone was saying was impossible. And so, um, in fact, that really annoyed me. You know, everyone said, no, you're going to die, or they laughed at me, or they didn't think it was possible. And I was just like, I'm just going to prove them wrong. It was literally a two-fingered salute to to those sort of naysayers. And, and I think um, just because it started in quite a sort of um, macho way, um, I suppose it's taken me by surprise, the journey it's taken me on, because... Um, there's nothing macho about what I do tonight uh, at the moment you know it I really don't need to prove anything to anyone I, and again maybe this is just an age thing I'm 41 now so I think as you get older you don't need to show off quite as much as you did as a kid but um but um yeah certainly I think that what I'm doing now is quite a, is quite meaningful and 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 I don't I don't know it it keeps me uh, learning it keeps me in a position of being
0: quite humble as well when you were in the military yeah uh, my superficial and inexperienced uh, intuitive understanding of life in the military is that it must be extremely testing on you physically and mentally. And it must be a lot about making individuals behave in a cohesive way and respond well to authority. What was that like for you as an individual? What was it like for your mental health, the time you spent in the army? Um, if I'm honest, I
1: don't think I, um, I took to the army at all. Well, um, I joined because I wanted to roll around in the mud and do out, an outdoor job and not sit behind a desk. and In that respect, I was correct. But I never really there, there's a fear that I don't know whether you understand when when you even see a military camp and all that barbed wire around the outside. When I when I'd go into camp, I would get properly scared inside. And I left as a captain, so you shouldn't arguably be scared of the camps if you if you're if you're at that level. Um, and yet I did. It was a very disciplined environment. It was a very strict environment. And it is one run one on run on discipline and and um, sort of regime. And that wasn't me at all. Um, I might have taken a lot from the military, but I've always been quite a free spirit and I've always liked the ability to do what I want to do. I get up in the morning and I'd like to plan my own day rather than, you know, the next six months in advance is being planned for you. And so it was never really me. Uh, even in training at Sandhurst, I was not counting the days till I finished training, which the other recruits were. I was counting the days till I actually could leave the military <laughs> because... I could tell it wasn't me. And yet it was something I almost did as a sort of finishing school or to give me the skills that I needed to do what I'm doing now.
0: How did you flourish in an environment that was so counter to the way you wanted to be and the way you saw yourself? How did you, because you obviously succeeded, you got to the rank of captain. How many years were you in the military?
1: I was I was in for four years. Four years um, yeah. I didn't flourish, if I'm honest. Um, I, I, I feel like I could come into myself... In more recent years, um, in my early 30s rather than um, in my mid-20s, which was when I was in the military, I I remember telling my commanding officer that I was going to leave and um, he just smiled and said, yeah, that's probably best, isn't it? I mean, nice. I literally... I wasn't that good I, I, because I th- I don't think I was that into it, you know. um I didn't have any interest in guns, you know. People go on stag dudes to Las Vegas and shoot Uzis, It just leaves me cold. I'm not interested. I, I did spend time in Afghanistan and the other consultants, they were... um they couldn't wait to decommission the weapons off the Afghans, so they could go into the middle of the into the middle of the desert and shoot bazookas and stuff. And I just, it's just not me at all. And invariably, you can bluff your case for a little while, and then after a while, reached the rank of captain. And the thought, this is about as senior as I want to go bluffing my case. I'm sure there's more to life as well. The battalion was going back to Northern Ireland for two more years and and doing a really quite difficult job to keep the soldiers motivated in those sort of environments. And so I I decided it was time to leave.
0: Well, I personally have tremendous respect for anybody that can endure the military because when I imagine myself in those kind of environments, when you talk about individuality, um, in a, a necessity to respond to discipline, that makes me feel really scared. And the idea that you said about, you know, the camp, I, I also have this sense that the military you'd refer to as a finishing school might be a place where greatness is accessed in that you are tested as an individual and like the, whether or not you can overcome and surmount certain challenges... Is that fair? Is that w- what it was like in some ways in retrospect
1: I think yeah uh, a lot of the explorers um around the world have been in the military uh Fiennes fines and you know all of the people who have made a name for themselves and and I think there is a reason for that. I think it gave me a set of skills it gave me not just the physical skills packing a rucksack and navigating those sort of very obvious ones, but also it it allowed me to think flexibly bizarrely, and the, you'd think the mm. the military would be quite um regimented with the way it thinks, but they have got this thing called mission command, which essentially means if you know the end state of what you're trying to achieve, so your commanding officer has told you the end state, it's up to you as to how you do it, and um, so it does allow what, for like quite a lot of flexibility. conquer that area well, or exactly get to that place? Attack that trench, and it's up to you as to whether you go, you know, ar- through the stream, straight up the middle, or around the forest and through cover or whatever it is. So, was well, that, that
0: enjoyable, that side of things?
1: I think when I came out, when I started leading expeditions, it was good to be able to know that I could deal with situations and I could be flexible. So I did massively have to take my military hat off in many respects because, you know, a lot of the people that I was dealing with were local people, indigenous people um, mm. from potentially third world countries. And you can't just go in there with your sort of army hat on, telling people what to do or expecting things to Run like clockwork because it just you'll just end up exploding out of sheer frustration, so I had to completely take that off strip chuck it all away quite frankly and 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 i I'm happy to shed that that side of the military i you know as I go on year by year, the military has less and less influence over who I am today definitely
0: did it did you while you were in the military? Question the agenda and the objectives and this I suppose that inherently what is within military is uh, the idea of false. The idea of coercion, the idea of control, so there are a lot of things like on a on the level of our national identity, we have to conceal about the role of the military i 'm not talking about individual soldiers who it, yeah. it's very, very brave that anyone's prepared to put themselves through that kind of suffering and I, I admire them, but yeah. i 'm talking about like the sort of like, the political objectives of a military organization, for example, in northern Ireland, and, you know we'll just t- take one very complex subject. did that sort of stuff trouble you um, I think
1: um I never really believed in the Northern Ireland occupation, you know, when we were out there, and and that was therefore difficult to put on an official face. I was in charge of 30 soldiers. They were looking to me to sort of um, lead them through this this experience of occupying another nation, you know? And, Mm. okay, we weren't fighting, but, you know, we were unwanted there you know i was spat in the face loads of time really and, and yeah you're it, kidding me you've had no, that happen yeah. of, co- well, of course every and every british army soldier that's 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 done any patrols in northern ireland would have had that happen it, what but if you think about it if it was your backyard and suddenly observation towers are going up and people are spying on your houses and stuff you'd be pretty outraged too. And so I don't feel any negativity towards any of no. the people that did that. I didn't believe in what I was doing, if I'm honest.
0: Right, you didn't believe it. So that must be, I imagine that would be hard enough if you, if one had the mentality of queen and country and the right of the British Empire to rule and occupy other territories. It would still be hard if someone spat in your face. But if you sort of felt it was wrong anyway, did it just feel like the physical representation of your own doubts? I think... Um...
1: I think if you sign up for something sometimes, and this is really tricky, isn't it? Because when you, because everyone, um, well, I've developed over the course of years an ability to tell whether something's right or wrong by sort of trusting my gut, you know? Mm. You, you intu- intuitively know whether you should be doing something or didn't. And yet I'd signed up to an organisation which it's, it's got nothing to do with feelings or intuition. It was just literally, this is your orders and this is what you've got to do. And I kind of just, I've got to admit, I kind of just accepted that that this is a role that you've got to fulfill for the next year or two years or whatever and once you've done it you can then you can then break free and, and live your life as you want to do it so i i think i just sucked it up and got on with it at the time um i wouldn't go back right to it now at
0: all what was it then so having been schooled hardened trained taught by the military. Well, how was it that you found yourself attracted to the seemingly impossible? Uh, I know that you were like strongly advised against trying to walk the Amazon, not least because it's made of water and only Jesus can do that. <laughs> that like, you know, that you were advised that, they, that, that these were insurmountable challenges. Yeah. Uh, what, what happened to you in the period from leaving the military to taking on these g- great physical and psychological trials? What, what made you think you could do it and why did you want to do it?
1: Um, I think as much as the military it, I didn't get on with it for the reasons that I've explained what I did like is being outdoors and what I did like was physical challenges and and um and spending time next to nature I've got to be honest and so what I, the first job I took when coming out of the military was taking gap year kids on um, on trips into the rainforest so they were building a new visitor center for a national park or something and you know 18 to 24 year olds they're having a life changing experience and I got the chance to use the nice skills that come out of the military of being able to take them into the jungle safely. They'd be sleeping in hammocks and washing in rivers and maybe doing a project which has got an ecological aim or a community-based aim. And, and mate, that was it was perfect as far as I was concerned. I, I I was living at almost you know I got paid next to nothing for that job because it was charity work, but it was using all the really nice touchy-feely parts of. Uh, I, it was taking the it was taking the army or expedition knowledge and actually putting it to good purpose so you know there was there was always a conservation or a or a community aim and mission to the, to each one of the expeditions and i flourished in that environment i loved it i did it for about 8 or 9 years actually and um, and really enjoyed it what did you learn in doing that well it was more obviously i'm not ordering people around there's there's paying volunteers coming on these trips and and it was um it was more just about letting go of all of the all of the worries and all of the fears that have, that I'd had building and um, being in the military suddenly, people all around me were having amazing life changing experiences. And you know, if when you pull people into the jungle like that, and everyone's wearing the same grubby trousers and shirt, and you know, there's there's no fashion, there's no phones, there's everything stripped away, and yet people almost. Every single person on those expeditions at the time would have said this has been the most amazing thing I've ever done in my life because they come together, they bond, they work really hard, they're living in this almost like a commune in the middle of the in the middle of the jungle. And it I think it was extraordinarily rewarding. It taught people, you know, what life's about, how to look after each other, how to work as a team. Um and it was it was a youth development charity as well. So it was all about these people who Probably didn't know anything about life, and this is the first time they've properly travelled away from home. But they've done it in quite a safe, organised way because it's, you know, led by someone like me who's ex-military. But it, um, I don't know, it it almost... Yeah, almost every single person, and I'm in contact with a lot of the volunteers that came on those trips. Just it literally it changed their attitude towards each other, it changed their attitude towards nature, and they got a huge amount out of it. Yeah.
0: People began to feel connected when t- to each other and mm. to nature and to who they really are. So I, I suppose wh- what we c- uh, what's implicit in that is that living in a, a civilized culture disconnects you from yourself. One starts to or we start to form attachments to material objects to things that aren't real, like the way that we envisage people isn't investigated. But when people are put into an environment that is stripped back, the reason they feel so great, feel so connected, is because they discover some kind of truth. And I suppose the sp- spirituality, in essence, is about the discovery of truth and the, the fact that the, tr- that the truth is beautiful. The truth is connection, not alienation, loss, despair. Yeah, and I, and I
1: think you hit the nail on the head by saying it's not really... I wasn't adding anything, I was just stripping stuff away. So, yeah, all of the nonsense, all of the phones, all of the distractions, all of the, you know, things that we all turn to when we're not feeling good, drugs, cigarettes, chocolate, whatever it is, there aren't any of those. you know. And everyone was having to deal with a very raw version of each other, and I think that was lovely for a start. And, you know, they... <sighs> Back in the day, people used to tell stories, didn't they? And, you know, we would light a fire in the evening and cook on it and then sit around it and chat to each other. There was nothing else to do. And so you're looking up at the stars, you're contemplating, and it was, again... A world stripped away of the nonsense,
0: I think, A world stripped away of the nonsense means that people go within themselves. But I don't imagine it's just plain sailing or sort of, you know, sort of a communal Trumpton. I bet people go through a lot of anguish, don't they? I mean, I feel a part of... I'm very attracted to what you do. I admire it very much. But it's... uh, With myself, there's quite a lot of fear in there. If I think, right, you've got to go and live in the woods, you're not going to have your phone, you're not going to have... like. There's a phrase, isn't there, we become prisoners of comfort... I feel that I am in many ways a prisoner of comfort that I've not t- tested myself. I used to do this thing and this seems like a mad thing to tell a survival explorer because it's so lightweight but like uh, I once went out with um, this woman at an amazing estate in the grounds of the estate was a well beautiful well dirty stinking marsh pond right and I used to uh, jump in it right and when you jump in it it was really cold it was freezing and when you got in there when I got in there I'd go like Arrgh! Arrgh! like annoying and I'd think what? like that, my body is capable not only of experiencing that cold but also it's capable of making that noise and all the time that I'm not experiencing that cold or making that noise I'm disconnected from the guy that can handle that so I'm like bobbing about just on the surface of who I am never experiencing the truth of just as me as an individual on a sort of anatomical physical and essential way so I'm imagining that in that is a tiny pipsqueak scrap of the thing that you're into right that you i think
1: i think i think you're right i mean there's a there's a movement at the moment um with dis, amongst disillusioned people working in london called going on a micro adventure and people will literally sort of 5 to 9 i think is the catchphrase they'll leave work at 5 they'll take a train out into the countryside though Run up a hill, sleep on top of a hill in the morning, go and jump in a river and and then get back on the train and be in for work the next day and I think you know that's quite indicative of the of of just people not being satisfied with this kind of mundane life and they want to really experience life and obviously it's uncomfortable sleeping on the hill it's you know bloody cold jumping into the water, and none of these things are actually conventionally good fun, and yet it somehow does press a reset button it somehow does enable them to go in the next day to work with a smile on their face and, and feeling like they've actually done something and it's very difficult to actually explain why they're doing it. But um certainly I feel there's there is more to life than just I don't know getting on the tube and going to work and sitting in front of a desk. I'm not interested in being a number like that. I want to experience
0: as much of life as possible, I suppose. So like in a way we can sort of build an idea that urbanisation, industrialization and a technological society is a way of turning people into kind of the fuel for a giant factory. Your role just becomes to, as a producer and as a consumer, in many cases more a consumer than a producer. Your connection to nature and reality has been severed. You're on the tube. But you're saying that these micro-adventures are examples of people have this yearning for what's real and are you saying that this yearning is something you always add that you thought i don't want to do some job or i'm basically in some version of prison um i'm trying to
1: i reckon i reckon feelings more personally uh, now i reckon feeling is more important than than thought and i huh. think we all get lost in our heads you know we all uh anxieties fears all this sort of nonsense going around our heads all the time and i think what i'm talking about is just experiences which sometimes aren't logical why am i going to go and jump in a stream because it's it's having a very very visceral experience it's suddenly shocking all your body senses it's making you feel alive again and it's it's very hard to describe logically and i've got i've got some really really good aboriginal australian friends and um and they once told me it's like in fact the first time i met this guy he's like um we sat in the car Nobody said anything for about five minutes, and I was like thinking about those things. And after five minutes, he went, "Will you shut the fuck up?" Because there were so many thoughts going around my brain, and like from an Aboriginal perspective, I'll try and tell this story quite shortly. But he, they believe that um you've got three brains: the biggest brain being your your gut and your instincts; the second biggest brain being your heart and your emotions; and the smallest brain being the logical brain and the word that they used to describe the logical brain is called nandupuru and nandupuru is also the word that they'd used to describe a fishing net that was all tangled beyond repair or fucked in their words and, <laughs> and that's the word they used to describe the logical brain and they said the reason that western people confuse life so much is that they live in this logical brain and it's, it's a tool everything is meant to start in the gut, you know, all of your, everything that you do, the way you live your life, is all starts down here. And, okay, it gets filtered by your heart and your emotions, and then it latterly gets filtered in a lesser manner by your logic and your, and, uh, your logical brain. Um, but this, for me, immediately explained it. it. It just made everything click into place. It's like, it's not that that's not got a place. It has. It's a filter on the way out, but everything has to originate. And, you know, it, it, all sorts of expressions. We've got expressions in our... In our own culture, you know, you follow your gut. But they they really genuinely believe. And I I have to admit, I have taken on the same beliefs. I I think everything should originate here. And and I think, you know, to live your life in an urban society where you're constantly watching the clock and you're involved in time and stresses and all this sort of stuff, it's all in your head, isn't it? And and all they were doing was to try and tell me. And I, I did it because I was going to go and put myself on a desert island. So I thought they would be good people to speak to about this. And they said, the more you live in your head, the more problems you'll have, the more anxieties and fears and doubts. And, and they were absolutely right. The more you can come from an instinctual place, it's, all of that just evaporates and, and you can live
0: and you can, you can have a decent time on the island. That was great wisdom. How did you go from being the man in the car that's like they have to say, shut the fuck up to because you're thinking ah. too loudly. How did you, what did you learn from them? And how do you do that? Um. It's been a long journey. I mean, the Amazon was two and a half years. That time
1: isolated completely on my own on the island was 60 days, which is a long time in complete isolation. You were 60 days in complete isolation. Yeah. Well, I, I'll be completely honest. I was ill twice and twice they sent in a, because I had a satellite phone to call in case there was, um, twice they brought
0: in of course of antibiotics, but then left me again. But other than What that- did you feel like in the moments when someone drops off the antibiotics? Are you like, you, I've, I've, come I've, here, talk to me, hold me.
1: You would think, I would think that I got angry at myself. Immediately I called, used the satellite phone. I got angry that I was breaking this sort of... Um, rule that you'd set. Yeah, uh, you know, I was going to have 60 days in isolation and, you know... You, I. Why did I you call? What myself? was up? Well, because I'm not a doctor. I didn't know what was wrong. I was like... What were you experiencing? Uh, gut cramps and pains, which I think the first one was trapped wind. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, something so inane as that. And yet I'd obviously got myself, and it's very difficult to... Describe. I don't know whether you've spent extended periods of time in isolation. But no, mate. Ten minutes, I start to freak out. Yeah, but, but it's f- from a from a spiritual perspective. It was one of the most one of the biggest catalysts I think I've ever experienced because there was nowhere to hide. It was um it was like a mirror to yourself. But you know, I couldn't distract myself in any way because there was nobody else there. It was almost like the enormity of just being in my own presence was um was overwhelming. What do you um, mean that enormity? Okay, I think it's it, again quite difficult to explain, but um, I think we all live our lives, and I certainly used to in a way where you bounce off other people, so i you know, in this interview, I'm constantly reading signals off you in order to get an interpretation of how I'm behaving. You know, uh, the fact that the producer next to me isn't, you know, jumping up and down. It's like, okay, things are going okay, so I can continue to live my life in this way. Strip all of that feedback away. So it's just you. Suddenly, your sense of self is like, well, who am I? Because nobody's giving me any reflective sense of who I am. And wow. I was literally almost vomiting on the beach. Genuinely, I was almost sick because I, the concept of who I was just evaporated and I was scared. And wow. I was literally stuck with all the hairs on the end of my neck. I was like, who the... F- am I? Because um, other people provide
0: your parameters. If there's which, no feedback, which, no bounce back, who are you? I just had the image, Ed, of like the, the self being like a radiator, radi- radiating out energy and imagery, and if that signal never gets bounced back, it's limitless, it's infinite. Once I met this man in uh, America, he's a cowboy, I think it was around Dakota, yeah. and he, he said once, there's only so much horizon a man can stand. Right. Like that If there's just endless horizon, it's going on forever, and no one's telling you who you are, and you start to think as you were saying, who am I? So what happens next?" Okay, so <laughs> now
1: I did. I'd love to say that the penny dropped on the island, but it didn't at all. It was afterwards. But were
0: you, know, you going through
1: extreme anguish then? Someone's on that island. Oh, it, it was. It was a knife edge of. of I was self filming a project for the Discovery Channel, but it was. I was also going through this sort of isolation. Um. Well, extreme effects of being put in sort of solitary confinement. Solitary confinement is a punishment in a yeah. prison for a reason. Well okay again long story short I came off the island didn't have any sort of decompression therapy or anything like that and then about a year later I was meant to be filming another series for for um, Discovery and I couldn't get out of bed I was crying I was um, my my courage had, you know was through the floor and um, again long story short but I went into therapy and I I I have found out because invariably when you do go through therapy, you get the sort of terminology for certain things. And what I'd the way I'd lived my life, they term as a reflected sense of self. But what they tried to engender within me it was a a um, my own sense of self. You know, so you, okay, I'm not the concept of there being you know a horizon being you, you can only take so much. And again, the isolation being so enormous is only because I was I was. I could only feel comfortable when I was getting a reflected sense of self. If your sense of self is coming from the inside, because, for example, I had to start developing a moral compass. You know, if I was to steal your pen and walk out today, it's not a big thing, but I wouldn't do it anymore because, because I wouldn't feel good about myself. But it doesn't matter whether you knew or whether, like, I don't. I now live my life in a really honest way, and I think having to strip it back and work out work out who I was was about what I stand for as well so I won't steal off you and I won't cheat and I won't lie and I think that's the only true way to actually really know who you are as a person it doesn't matter what anyone else knows or understands or can find out or anything like that and I now go okay I can sit here knowing who I am knowing that I'm now emotionally mature enough to have a wife and have a kid and stuff like that because I know who I am whereas if it was all based on how i think i'm coming across to you that becomes extraordinarily complicated very quickly and i was in this trap and i I would honestly say that i walked the amazon so that other people would say to me mate you're fucking incredibly tough (laughs) so i could then feel incredibly tough because they told me i was and it was an investment in a way it's bonkers and so many people do live their life in that way and it's just like you know coming from that true sense of self it re- you really have to dig down deep to find out who you are and what you do stand for, I think.
0: There's a thing that, yeah, you're right, I think. Well, there's a thing called codependency, you know, like in 12 step circles, meaning that your identity is enmeshed with other people's identity and perception of you. Now, that thing you just described of like needing the feedback and approval of others, I feel like we have a, Culture that's fueled on that, that everyone's running on who am I? What do I want? Oh, I am my phone. I am my shoes. I am my job. I am what my wife thinks of me. I'm just describing myself. Now, for me, my journey has been about having, like, becoming an addict and having to let go of drugs that I was addicted to, then behaviors that I was addicted to, then ways of treating people that, you know, all these things have had to be sort of slowly let go of. Yeah. And, and the, what you realize is those things are doing a job for you, they're holding you together. Yeah. So, what I'm fascinated in the way that you have physicalized and extremized. If that's a word, like uh, like those that principle by you know like what like say day te- like you're saying the whole of the island experience was didn't bring about epiphany. You came back from the island and sort of had a mental breakdown.
1: Yeah, I mean, crikey, I think i've being kind to myself, I would have had to be a pretty superhuman person to do all of that self evaluation and come to those sort of aha moments. And film a program for Discovery Channel, and cu- f- find food and water and all the other things. There was only so much I could do. I mean, it opened a can of worms, but I didn't manage. You know, I, I didn't manage to come to any sort of massive life conclusions. I think I'm certainly not being I critical don't... of you had to say you made a real mess of that <laughs> time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I mean. It's weird, isn't it? Again, because people said to me, you know, that island was conducive to you being able to survive. There was no venomous snakes. You know, food was plentiful because you had coconuts and stuff. Why did you make such a meal of it? And yet, and I'm like, you've clearly never been isolated, have you? And crikey, some people manage it really well. You know, there's ocean rowers who go longer than I spent on that island and have absolutely no problems with falling apart
0: mentally. I reckon they must be very strongly connected to purpose and direction I reckon the only way like this is obviously purely speculative in my sense and except for this yet another micro example once I had to do this stunt where I had to fall backwards off of a 30 foot thing into some crash mats right and I was so scared of doing it that the only way I could persuade myself to do it was by focusing on the small details of put your foot there then put there yeah. then you know do, tell him, doing exactly what, what the stunt man told me in that moment was my religion like I do these things and that way, that the fear could be navigated by the coordinates of instruction I've been offered. So on that island, were you? a What? What? Were you, like I was thinking that possibly the fact that you had to find food and keep yourself alive would have been, in a sense, structuring the experience, giving you something to hold on to. In fact, yeah, I think you're absolutely bang on, and
1: actually, that's. I think the what I where, what i came to think afterwards is that because i didn't have a, a lateral a, you know a journey from a to b there wasn't anything to strive for it was literally you're plonked on an island and you've got to yeah. deal with yourself and there is nobody there is no time pressure there is you know there yeah. is no desperation to get food because it's all around you and so and that was part of the problem it was just like this isn't about achieving anything this is about you just becoming comfortable with yourself.
0: Can right? I ask you candidly yeah. what coping mechanisms did you develop? Because I know that, like for me, it would be there be I'd be obsessive about food. I think masturbation would become an issue. I think <laughs> I'd find things that were like controlling my states of mind. Yeah. Were there things because you said you vomited? I mean, that was obviously very physicalised. Did things like I know it's a very plain and rude question to ask someone about masturbation, but were things did things like that become like, well, <laughs> oh, at least I can do that, or did that quickly become quite redundant? Well, let's tackle that one first. Mm. But, um, it's no, obviously, but, the one interest me (laughs) um
1: i didn't i didn't masturbate once on the island whoa so it didn't occur Sixty days no it occurred to me um one i think when you're malnourished (laughs) a lot of your testosterone goes down Uh and you aren't thinking in that way i don't know whether it's something to do with at times of famine people weren't procreating because there wasn't Mm. enough food around so that you know it does affect your libido definitely Although it would have been a good distraction, you're right, uh, I, just, I just, I kind of put it out of my brain as well, I don't know why, but I, you know, you can imagine this. I remember, okay, studying for my A-levels, for example, I would have done quite a lot, and you can, you know, you feel grubby, don't you, if you <laughs> yes, doing that all the time. I didn't really want that to be the uh, the focus of my uh, you the, sense, the about- highlight of my
0: island <laughs> experience. Oh, sixty <laughs> paradise! A man alone with God. <laughs> now, time for a wank. <laughs> <laughs> now, put those coconuts together there, <laughs> and this seashell here.
1: I do you know what I did, Russell? Was because I was so scared of spending time on my own and spending time with myself. I, I. Again, in this sense, this is a really crude um, way uh, of doing it, very ill-evolved or unevolved, but I, and I wouldn't do it today, but I made myself so busy that I didn't have time to sit with myself. So, for example, I decided I'd build a shelter and I'd literally say, right, okay, I could get up in the morning and i make myself a little cup of tea, of, on the, but I'm only going to allow 15 minutes for that and then I'm going to go to work and I'm going to spend two hours at work and then at mid-morning I'm going to come back and I'll have a tea break. And I literally scheduled out the day so that I didn't have any time and... Reflectively, I definitely think that's because I was so scared of those times when I was just reflecting, when I was just sitting with myself. And so I, I kept myself extraordinarily busy
0: to get around that. I think. So, you, your survival technique in mentally was to keep yourself busy. What happened, yep. excuse me, when you did find yourself alone? what is the what was the quality of the fear what the uh, the fear and the like you know what do you think oh i 'm not a good enough person, I made mistakes when I was a kid I hate that I hate myself what was, sort of what were the frightening things that happened in your mind okay again, I mean
1: this is far from a sub story at all, and I think everybody's got their own story haven't they you know everyone's got stuff that gives them issues laterally in life, and for me, it was adoption um I was adopted oh. as a kid and um I didn't understand this for many years, and I got adopted by a very, very loving middle-class family. I got sent to a good school, and I have no. This is not a sub story at all. However, there's a theory that. um, Why do you think you have to keep saying it's not a sub story? Because I'm not. uh, I don't want people getting adopted. I don't don't need people's sympathy, and and that's not why I'm telling it. I'm, I'm telling it because it's. I think because it's um. It doesn't. It kind of all doesn't make sense unless you go. Well, hang on. Why. Why were you insecure? Why did you need to prove these things? And personally, I think that came from adoption. There's a, I can explain it quite briefly in the fact yes. that uh, it's, there's a theory that a baby, when it's born to a mother, the, the biggest trauma it could possibly experience to the equivalent of death is being separated from its mother because it can't feed itself and it can't do anything at all. Separate those two things on a very, very core level, you are experienced the trauma of death wow. and then your whole life builds upon that that insecurity of being abandoned essentially so i had huge abandonment issues and that would spill out in all sorts of different ways um at school and you know getting expelled for minor acts of vandalism to in my 20s in the military you know drinking and getting into trouble with police and bits and bobs like that and i i just think Of course every man's got you know testosterone and every young man spills over and and, you know gets into trouble and and i think that just shows spirit but for me the the deeper insecurity the reason i needed to go to the amazon the reason i needed to do something so big is because my insecurity was was so deep i suppose i just genuinely you know again the the whole concept of not really knowing who you are not knowing what you stand for i'd do anything you know mates dared me to do anything i'd I'd literally do anything there was no boundaries and you know people like you know everyone knows people like that there's just like they're scary, crazy and they're and scary do in anything. certain ways because they will do for anything absolutely yeah. anything and I, w- I definitely fell into that category as soon as you understand things like this and the reason i think i say it's not a sob story is because once you understand your history it it doesn't matter anymore it's just a chapter in your life and i wouldn't actually trade any of that for all the money in the world because it's made me who I am today and I wouldn't have achieved what I've achieved in life probably if I'd stayed in the same family and been brought up and in, in a very conventional way so I'm really I think you, let's face it it'd be a waste of energy to be anything other than happy with everything that's happened <laughs> in the past because it's happened you know but but therefore but I'm just it's just a chapter in the book and yeah.
0: it's a bloody good book it so it became it became your gift The wound became your gift. The damage, the damage of, like, as you've said it, using your words there, Ed, the worst thing that could happen to babies, it could be separated from a mother, that happened to you. And curiously, your life's agenda becomes, can I survive alone? That's the question. (laughs) Naked on an island. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I
1: I don't think there's any doubt that that was some sort of um, self... sort of self-fulfilled professively yeah I,
0: like an attempt to resolve the issue yeah, the drama yeah. of your yeah. personal myth was yeah. you are i am abandoned well if i'm abandoned i need to survive alone yeah. can i yes it's
1: weird and then to do that in front of how many 95 million people on discovery channel as well <laughs> i don't know it was so deep that i somehow needed this is sometimes which i haven't really quite got to the bottom of this why i need to do these things publicly as well and i think um you know i i fully understand that fame is an it's a folly quite frankly you, you know and uh and not a purpose within it within itself. And yet for some reason I did want to do it on a stage, you know, I want, I want people to be able to see it as well. It wasn't just an internal thing.
0: Right. That's true. I suppose a person who's got the skills to survive could just go and survive. But if you, you interestingly, you raised the point that it was about community and about connection. Um, and about possibly about exhibition or demonstration and i mean in a way perhaps all of us have this same sort of need to be loved this need to be connected and certainly all of us have the need to somehow resolve the drama of our circumstance the drama of our childhood like this i must become this i must solve this
1: there's a another again it's a therapy sort of um terminology but um There's this thing called developmental immaturity where you don't self-parent yourself and I definitely think I fell into that category so I would you know drive my car at absolute maximum speed down the motorway because there was no version of myself kicking in and we all have different parts of our personality but the adult version of myself wouldn't kick in and go "Eh, this is not a terribly good idea or you know when you've had however many pints and a lot of people would go do you know what I've had enough now I'm gonna you know go to bed and go home and Whereas that, that that never kicked into me, and and apparently there is a psychological term for it, which is yeah, it's not far off from codependency, but you know it's it's in that same same sort of thing, which is literally just living in this childlike state, thinking that you know you can still be abandoned, thinking that you need to almost be so volatile that no one can ever reject you because you're rejecting them all by your outrageous behaviour, you know, and um, I think. The thing that has enabled me in recent years, because I got married two years ago and had a little baby about six months ago, and I have no worries that I'm going to be a great dad and a great father, you know? I just don't, I am, I'm I'm doing that at the moment and I don't doubt myself, but that's, I think because I've come through this whole journey, because I, I genuinely, <laughs> I meditate every day and part of my meditation is, is literally, it's called self-parenting, but it's literally holding my own hand through life, really, rather than, Neglecting the bit, you know, how most people go, like British people, especially, they're like, self love is quite a cringy term, isn't it? You know, Americans might say it a lot, but British people, they don't want to talk about self love. You know, they take the piss out of themselves, they're far more comfortable putting themselves down or taking the piss out of themselves than they are loving themselves. And I've had to, you know, I do it in a sort of visualization when I meditate each day, and it's just like looking after myself, being kind to myself. And that then enables me to stand and I go, right, I've got my values, I'm looking after myself, and then I can genuinely in life go, look, I'm not lying to anyone, I'm not harming anyone, I'm in a really good position to, you know, love my wife and look after my child and that sort of stuff. Yeah. When did you start the meditation? Again, it was a therapy thing. I mean, I was offered whatever the medication was at the time, I can't remember. But what is this is What point
0: in your life is this, by this the way? This was
1: when I couldn't continue filming for Discovery Channel because I had... Uh,
0: essentially, a mini breakdown about a year after coming off the island for sixty days so you've done the island the island's a success. you yeah. come back, and then when you get back to normal domestic life, everything sort of hits you. What was that experience? What was happening in your mind and life then um I was in at the time a really really bad
1: relationship, so the um you know the first call I made at the end of the island experience was to my at the time. Um, girlfriend, and we had an argument, and I was just like, I can't believe that she's having a go at me. <laughs> I've just spent 60 days on a desert island, and she did. Um, so that relationship, where you bloody been? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, it was, um, it was, it was absolutely nuts. I, I came back, and um, I think with hindsight, you know, TV is a scary thing that. You know, you go to Discovery Channel, you go, I'm going to put myself on a desert island for 60 days. And they said, well, could you survive? Like, no knife, nothing. And I was like, I don't know. And they went, brilliant, let's do it. Because they want to embrace it from a televisual perspective. They want to make entertainment for people. And if I struggled, that would be really entertaining. Nobody really went, yeah, but is this going to do any damage? <laughs> you know, psychologically, certainly, let alone the sort of physical thing. of Why did you choose
0: any... that thing? Why did you choose 60 days on an island alone? Um... Because I think, I think I was forever
1: sort of gravitating towards an experience where I really genuinely had to know that I could look after myself. I think it was an abandonment thing. I think it was me needing to know that I was capable of of surviving on my own. And I don't think that's the end state in life, you know, everyone can be as independent as they like and have as many, you know, survival skills as Ray Mears. But that's not; that doesn't make you a happy person, does it? I mean, I, I just needed to come through to the state where I was confident enough in myself as a person to then, you know, open my
0: heart and, and, and embrace the people around me. But I wow. think I needed to do one first, if you know so, what I mean. So you got back and you have a sort of mental breakdown and you're, like, you have this argument with your then partner. What happens? That relationship breaks up yeah, and you're gone. alone? Um, longer than that, but... Um, I. I it's weird there. that you I've, I've like never... that being alone would be hard for you. <laughs> like after you've done sixty days on an island, you'd think that you're alone proof. Um. I like people, and you know, I, I really, you know, the
1: best times in life have always been shared moments. They've never been when I'm completely on my own. Um. I don't think I can pick a moment when I've. Okay, sometimes if I go on a run or something, and but even that, it's it's an uncertain. Amount of yeah, endorphins are going through your mind, but it's in a certain parameters whereby you know you're going to come home and and meet again the people that you love. But I think in general, you choose to do the big moments of your life with the people that you love, wouldn't you? You choose to spend millennium Christmas, uh, New Year's Eve with you know your best mates or whatever. And I think you know that's what life's about for me: family, friends, that sort of stuff. But you've got to get yourself right first to to have have a meaningful input to their family and friends, I think.
0: My book about 12 Steps and the 12 Steps themselves from which the book is derived is about how you go on a journey to be able to be part of a community by addressing these issues without you know going to an island for 60 days, but by going into yourself and knowing that you're probably being motivated by things that you don't understand and that's why you have to drink and that's why you have to take drugs and that's why you have to gamble or that's why you're shopping too much or that's why you're in bad relationships or that's why you're doing a job you don't like because you've never, ever asked yourself the question. You've never stopped and done something as transformative or ritualistic as being alone. I mean, like the idea of isolation, it's a religious idea, isn't it? Like in monastic cultures and I bet in them Aboriginal cultures... Were they able to go to you? We do something a bit like that anyway, where 15-year-old boys slung off and told to survive. Well, they do, don't they? They go walkabout. And, you know, one of the
1: the absolute Aboriginal traditions is is to go off as a young man on your own and spend extended periods of time in the bush on your own. And, and you know, um, that is a part of how they evolve into a man. And I, and I think that's no coincidence either. I think, you know, for me, I did need to sit there without any of the distractions that be it addictions or not, anything in life that distracts you from just being able to sit with yourself. And I think it's it's hugely important. If you don't quite know who you are, if you've always, like people are so busy at work, for example, and then they come home and because there is that time, okay, in theory, my brain could switch off now, but that would, be, or I could stop thinking about stuff, but that would be a bit scary. They'll have a glass of wine and it's just like, mm. I need either to be stupidly busy or to numb my brain. <laughs> but the other bit, you know, that actually just sitting and, and feeling how, how i'm genuinely feeling that's yeah. that's a scary bit
0: holding it? reality yeah. being in reality so who was it that during this time of crisis suggested meditation to you and how did you get into that it was um
1: it was a neuro-linguistic programming lady who was operating in called mal khan who operated from a little little clinic in knightsbridge i think at the time and um i I didn't really get on with the neuro linguistic programming but she goes look this this app <laughs> is for cynics, you know, and it's just a it's called Headspace, run by a guy who, who used to come from Bristol, I think, and he's a sports science guy, but he, he had a dodgy part of his life and he went off and became a um a Buddhist monk and, hmm. and spent a huge amount of his time actually, you know, studying meditation and and um I think heads I mean Headspace has earned him millions now. It's it's big in New York, it's 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 big in a lot of countries all over the world but it's it's the meditation without the justice and the you know the chanting and wow. sitting head and and i needed it to be accessible at that stage because you yeah. if you we rewind a few years i was i was very ex-military and so i would have taken the mickey out of people who told me that i'd be meditating daily you know now F- 10 years ago i would have gone that's just ridiculous i'll just have a pint you know do you believe in god I don't really like the sort of religious structure put around I believe in something bigger than me. I believe yeah. in I suppose the my my belief is the the closest to it I think that I can describe it is the Gaia principle, you know, the concept of the earth acting like a, a living organism and therefore there is something positive happening that's bigger than me, that's taking things on a on a positive journey that has an interest in things going well and th- people functioning together and operating as a as an as a cohesive unit and i think for me that's not religion i think it's quite a a crude way of people trying to use their smallest brain their logical brain to actually put sort of parameters on something that you can't really talk about but it's it's, i believe in something bigger than that
0: there is some sort of harmonious connection like these aboriginal mentors and Mm. tutors that you found and made use of what is your understanding of what they're spirituality is based on well
1: very similar i mean it's the universe it's um i mean they believe that their ancestors are still around which i think sometimes the way it was described to me is that you're if your your life is like if you were a jug of water and you poured it and one drop of water falls out the jug of water back into another jug at the bottom your life you feel like you're an individual entity while you're that drop of water but you're just coming from a the, the sort of, uh, source. Up the top, a source and you're, you're going straight back to it. And, mm. and, and I think that's how they feel. I mean, I certainly know that Jeremy and my Aboriginal friends, they, they, they talk about communicating with their ancestors and they, they, um, and they, they walk in, they have a foot in, uh, in more than one world. And, um, and I think they believe in the universe. I think they believe in the positive forces of the planet. It, they don't overcomplicate it. I think that's. Because
0: mm, so, they don't make it cerebral. Don't use that. What's that tangled mind called again, Ed? Nandupuru. Nandupuru. There's a word of the day. Right. Mm. Um, like, so then, yeah, we have a culture that lives in the Nandupuru mind. Yeah. 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 Since you've learned all these skills, does going and being isolated or comparable survival programs? And I know obviously you continue to make these very successful programs. Are these as important as any other bit of kit or a person or in personal ability to physically endure this knowledge of spirit and mind? It's um, the most powerful survival tool I've got. Is,
1: is- I, I would have. I used to say the mind, but it's not, isn't it? It's it, it's greater than that. But it, it's the ability to control my inner state. I think. Wow. You know, I've, I've definitely spent days and days and days running around like a headless chicken in survival situations, making a meal of things. But the time when you stop and compose yourself and meditate, that that's when it starts going well.
0: So this is one thing that people that are not surviving in extreme conditions can learn, because we are all surviving on the on the mountains and terrains and tundras of the inner space of the inner life, and we have to find a way of, if if not reflecting somehow, finding an inner retreat, an inner connection where we can find repose. And like you know, I I agree with what you've said about sort of conventional religion, although I believe a lot of people get. To access, get to contact, get to connection through conventional religion. Yeah. Uh, but I believe that the, 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 unless we have this point of my struggle in my own life is being able to find a point of access like that and then. Lend- maintain it because mm-hmm. i get distracted away from it if i get frightened or if i get full of desire like it's very hard to keep the connection mm-hmm. so i suppose it's fascinating when someone uh, distills it as you have done into obvious so not, you know um, not obvious um, sort of what do i want to say epic survival conditions you know of, oh, can i survive in this extreme way
1: i mean it's, it's a
0: slightly comical setting, really, I mean,
1: I'm not in a survival situation. I'm being dropped off by a TV crew in an area where they know there's going to be some water and there's going to be... And you're making an entertaining show. And, you know, the parameters are survival. Yes, I've got to light a fire without a matches or a lighter. Yes, I've got to find food, but... It is essentially a little snapshot of life. It's just life in sort of glorious technical, in the fact that you have, you've got to do all of those components. But I'm still stressed about, will I get the right footage to make the program? I'm right. still worrying about whether I'm going to pay next month's mortgage. You know, all of the normal stuff of life <laughs> wow, wow. is still there. And therefore, I think with the added component of, because I obviously direct and film everything myself, with that component and surviving, it's You're just. You're a control freak, eh? Well,
0: you're a massive control freak.
1: <laughs> I certainly have been. But um, but I think, I think yeah, therefore meditation is really necessary. Otherwise, I'd just tie myself in knots all the time and it would all become too overwhelming.
0: Would you be able to do uh, these sustained periods of isolation or even separation now that you are a father and husband?
1: Um, I've got a new show to start <laughs> filming in January, so I'm going to have to. Um, so what are you going to do, mate? That's I've actually got a... Another show, which I think they're going to commission, I'm, not, I'm sure I'm not allowed to say it, but oh. it involves my family, it Involves involves both of them actually, which uh, um, could be very... That
0: cool. is amazing, I really hope that gets made, because one of the things I think, in my fantasist version of this, is it must be so amazing to know that if society falls apart, and sometimes it feels like it might, or even that it should, that like you'd be able to go, right, it's okay, we're going here, we're going to do this, 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 mm. and that must be amazing...
1: Yeah, no, I, I actually quite, um, I get I do gain a lot of confidence out of knowing that. Confidence? Yeah. yeah, out of being able to, you know, go into the wood, take two bits of wood, rub them together, be able to make a fire. That's a cool thing. I used to take the mickey so much out of sort of geeks who watch Star Trek and make fire by friction and used to take the, yeah, take the piss out of them, but... um Having gone through that, and I'm in, a, I'm a less cynical person now. I think it's a really nice, wholesome, organic skill. So yeah,
0: it's almost like it would be a lovely thing. I'd love to know that. I'd love to be to know that. Right, this is what you need to survive. Because I feel like possibly this sense of abandon and vulnerability that you described in your own personal drama, m- m- most of us know you, we're our life's held together by the power of other people. We're like you know we we need the house, we need the clothes. We need society, we need the media, we need the advertising, we need the commerce, we need the banks. We can't confront the banks, bring down the bloody government, we'll be dead in ten minutes. Because there's no, you know, like, and one can see in the American survivalist movement that shares that name, that it's a sense of we want to be independent, we want to live tribally, we want to be connected mm. to nature, inner and outer. Like, that's, a, you know, that's the impetus, but there's no language to do it, and there's no culture to do it, and there's certainly no way of... Um, correlating uh, or conflating the fact that it is a spiritual as well as physical endeavour to be able to survive in the world. Yeah,
1: I think you hit the nail on the head and I think that's why my shows are successful is because... People want to vicariously live in this world where they don't need a bank. They they, they don't have to go to the supermarket in order to buy their food. They want to be able to do it for themselves. And yet, it, they, you're right. There are no. You can't you can't achieve that in this world. You can't go off the grid really. In the UK, certainly. I mean, it's incredibly difficult to do so. All sorts of alternative cultures um, think that they can survive without money. And certainly in the UK. You know they can't. Yeah, we feel like we're
0: owned, and in fact, you also feel like if you tried to do it, forces would step in (laughs) and prevent it. Well, they would. I mean, travellers obviously are are looked down upon by a huge
1: number of parts of society, aren't they? Because you know they're not contributing to the state, but. Yeah, and all they've the said is we've do- got our own culture. Yeah, we exactly. don't want to do this. They're making their own choices, and they don't want to be a part of the mainstream.
0: And I think, I think inherently, a lot of people have a bit of that in them anyway. For those of us that don't have this m- monumental will to survive and ambition that you have expressed and su- uh, and uh, achieved such success through, what do what can we do to access and learn from? your trials and your journeys what would you suggest even someone like me I mean um, my mate Matt who's such a, a fan a, a great fan of yours you're a great hero of his he's uh, like staying or like we want to do camping he's going definitely in some suspended tent in a private woods right. in Essex this weekend is he? yeah he is, is right Saturday and Sunday and I'm debating whether or not to go with him I mentioned it to my wife mm-hmm. and she said yeah you should go you yeah, should go Asian. she wants me out of the bloody house I think <laughs> but like uh, but like uh, you know like is it that we should say right? Some of my life has got to be like that cold plunge in the pond moment, where you're hit with the reality of what life is. Would you suggest that sort of thing? I think,
1: I think it's a really good idea to ha- to sort of structure a bit of that into your life. Whether that's you know going off, walking in the Peter Street at the weekend or whatever it is, getting out of London. It's really difficult. I think you can do it in London, but it's really difficult to to step out of that. Um, heady space when you're in london it's just there's so much energy with the
0: concentration of people but it might be a bit like sh- that aboriginal man saying shut the fuck up it might be like that on a there's, times there, 12 million there, exactly. we, imagine all of that all of that energy
1: and i hadn't said a word in that car and yet he he just said i just cannot think with all that noise going on in your head it's a bit
0: bloody jedi that isn't it
1: <laughs> it is a bit but it was quite cool as well it's welcome um, yeah. I th- I think you do. Most of us need to get out in order to to get that clarity of thought, or to just stop thinking. And and I think London confuses it, or or very dense
0: populations do confuse it yeah so make space for yourself in some way whether it's sort of like a walk in the park, some way of interacting with nature in a very in a very literal way what about what do you think of this quote I, I think about it sometimes Chesterton said the truly adventurous man would uh, like it's an interesting and I'm not saying this is a dig uh, uh, you know instead of trekking across plains and climbing mountains would simply jump over his next door neighbour's fence meaning I suppose that adventure is potentially all around us and what we're bound by in a sense is convention, and we all live in restricted space. Do you think that, that that what you have learned as a literal survivalist has had so many evident spiritual connotations, and has driven you in the direction of the spirit? That that there are ways of crossing boundaries. That these techniques could be applied to the way that we. Are you curious about the way this could affect societies? What you have learned?
1: I think for me, yeah, uh, I would agree with that in the fact that I don't, I don't feel that need to go and climb a mountain or, or. or um, you know, conquer something that hasn't been achieved before as much anymore. I think you know everyone needs meaning in their life, obviously. Yeah. And, and you know, from having a baby recently as well, that suddenly it just changes your perspective on life. You're not the centre of like the world anymore. Yeah. And there's Something really meaningful there. And it, yes, okay, it's a bit of a cliche, and everyone says your life changes when you have a baby, but for me, it it has. All of the stuff that I still do, and I'm not going to stop going on adventures, it feels like it has got meaning because, you know, again, there's an analogy that a ship is like, or a relationship is like um, ships in a harbor. It's like built in a harbor and it's safe in the harbor, but you don't build a ship to stay in a harbor. It has to go out, it has to go on journeys and it has to come back again. And I think it's all part and parcel of the same thing. Yes, it's good to go away on adventures. Yes, it's good to go and have experiences outside of the, the nucleus of the family, but. But invariably you're going to come back and it makes going on those journeys all the more meaningful because you've got something wholesome and meaningful to come back to
0: didn't think before that that's why it's called relationship like <laughs> you're meant to go on a voyage <laughs> <laughs> i mean it wasn't meant to be a pun but, but yeah, i know it basically was wow so i think i want to i'm going to go and do this camping yeah. weekend thing what like i, I want to do some su- learn some surviving things off you well, perhaps uh, what should we do we is there some way you can think of formatting that or turning it into anything like i mean i don't not necessarily for television but possibly for television like i just like i feel like what would you i'd love suggest? to suggest yeah. it, it wouldn't
1: be a difficult thing to to set up a survival scenario where we could go in and teach you Matt if he wants to as well he'll be all over su- it some survival stuff and then uh, and then set you to it um, whether that's as a two or individually on your own if you wanted to experience the isolation bit as well but oh, eminently isolation. doable really doable yeah I'd love to as well
0: wow yeah. That's a real good play. And is there anything, What? And just to return again, so what's a simple thing? Because people listen to this podcast to learn things. You know, later week here, and you, you've been absolutely fantastic. Like, you, you, I want to do this. Because then, like, the whole time I'm doing it, I'm thinking, this is all information. This is amazing information. I need this information. So, oh, look, he's, he's actually, actually, show, Matt Morgan is actually outside, standing in the <laughs> corridor, <laughs> looking very Nordic, actually. Um, come in, come in. Is that Come in. Don't be so silly. So under the skin, uh, listeners, if you listen to the Radio X show that I also do, you'll have heard of Matt Morgan. We're going to wrap up the show soon. But Matt, would you... (laughs) (laughs) He can't even get in the bloody studio. Matt <laughs> Morgan, Ed, Star- oh, Ed Stafford Hello mate How are you? On, mate <laughs> oh, okay. Alright so Matt Morgan and Ed Come and share my microphone I don't want you bothering Ed Because we've established you Yeah let's not, let's not try what? and pretend That we're cool <laughs> In front of Ed now I told, I've already told Ed That we're planning to do Well that you are Definitely yes, camping and I'm unplanned. definitely doing I don't think He's going to do it You're not going to do it. He that. says he is I say, oh, yeah, I've Well one night Yeah, well, possibly one night. Is there any other like uh, we've been? uh, Ed's been absolutely amazing and talking about like a lot of stuff. uh, This was the would be the podcast I'd most recommend that you listen to. I think you'll, I think that you'll love it. What what sort of trials and what sort of techniques and tips would you suggest that uh, people listening to this now should try in our own lives? That without, as I was saying, being a monumental adventurer.
1: Well, I mean. For me, the thing that's helped me, and I do use it in survival situations and, and outside, is what we've already talked about. But that's meditation, and yeah. you know the app that I spoke about, the Headspace. Um, you know, just don't use ten, your cultural collateral. Ten minutes, twenty. I don't have anything to do with promoting. I know you don't. genuinely don't. But I love it. Let's start our own one. Use it every day. Well, okay, let's start our own. Just taking that time out to see your own. Get him as a guest. That's Have some perspective over being wrapped up in your own in your own life and being super you know, involved in your own little stories, it's just stepping that one step mm-hmm. back and be able to have a bit of perspective and clarity on it all. And that's helped me at home, in relationships, in survival situations, across the board.
0: I, I just imagine it must be a phenomenal lesson to know that you can survive, that you can survive emotionally, that you can survive spiritually, that you can survive physically. And like, and the importance that you've placed on the spiritual component of that. Yeah. And I must say, I wasn't pushing it in that direction has been, uh, <laughs> not much. As, <laughs> he doesn't shut up about that. Can we talk about stuff that I know something about so I can compete <laughs> in, the, in this chat? <laughs> no, um, yeah. So but it's, I think that's fantastic. Matt, do you want to ask a question as you're here and Eddie's um, your hero? do.
1: But b- bivy bags, right? Yes. If I'm <laughs> <in a> tent, <laughs> Right. No, just, just like because I'm going tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, okay. Is there any? Do, do they keep you any warmer in the tent, or is it just like there instead of a tent? You don't. If need you're in a tent, you don't need. You one. don't need no, it. No. Okay. If it's I a, could have if told you that. If, it's, you if it's a two skin tent, it's got an inner and an outer. Yeah. Yeah. No, yep. you don't need one. Okay. No, if you, but if you want to sleep outside, just in the bivy bag, then then that's an option. Do but you I'd, think it's I'd go, w- go for like? Um, polyester rather than a g- full cortex because you could get a bit sweaty. Right, it's okay. getting very
0: real now. <laughs> uh, so the last words that Ed, after all that fantastic stuff, has said, were well, you get a bit sweaty. <laughs> after talking about the true nature of man, access to the infinite, that we are true, wa- we're tra- water traveling between jugs. We are connected to the source and we're connected to the force with Ed Stafford. Thank you, that's been a tremendous education. I'm going to take you up on those survival offers, I cool. really am. Thank you, Russell. What offers. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you very much. You've been listening to Under the skin cheers This show was sponsored by my book, Recovery, which is available now. You can order it on Amazon. You can also get the audiobook, which is terrific. Check it out. The things we've been talking about in this show have a spiritual and mental component, and I may not be in access and surviving out in the world or even in a car on my own, but I do know how to deal with your own madness. Also, come see me on Rebirth Tour for a bit of fun and a bit of escape. Birmingham on the 5th of December. Leicester on the 6th of December. Brixton on the 19th of December. I guarantee you we will have fun. Go to com for tickets. If you like the show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Lots of love to all of you. Thanks for listening.